You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. We keep hearing something from companies that are out there right now because of this whole thing of this this pandemic, sandemic, gotta hire people, can't find talent, all of this kind of stuff that's out there. There's lots of people that are out actually looking for jobs, but they're finding lots of options right now. So we thought today we would talk a little bit about that hiring process. And this is going to be uh, applicable for you, whether you're trying to hire people and trying to find talent in your organization, or if you're even thinking about looking for other organizations, because we're going to kind of peel back the, what do you peel back when you're peeling back something? Peel back the layers, peel back the onion a little bit, open the onion, right? And we're going to look at the hiring process a little bit more in detail. And we're going to ask some tough questions about, are there things in the hiring process that's eliminating good candidates, people that would be ultimately successful in the job? In other words, how can we open up this hiring funnel a little bit more to get more candidates, more great people into that funnel? And then maybe also what do companies do that jeopardize that? Because there's a lot of things that we see that companies can do that can mess things up a little bit. So we're going to jump into this topic a little bit, but with us, we have, we've got Stephanie, who's our newest hire. Stephanie, if just randomly, I'm not bringing this up because you just said something about this, but you know, you just went through our hiring process. How was that? Was that life-changing, amazing, awesome? How would you describe it? All of those words. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was a great hiring process for me, honestly. Um, and I think what made it good is there was like driving from both sides, right. Of like, is like, I think, I don't know. I felt excited to work here. If it's like, you guys were excited about me, we were able to create some clarity really quickly. It was great. Yeah. I like how you said past tense on both of those things. You felt excited and we were excited about you. <laughs> the honeymoon's I over. am excited. I'm here. I'm highly caffeinated today. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. We are excited. That's awesome. Yeah. We've got Bethany Tafu. Bethany used to work in the recruiting world, right? We used to be able to recruit folks and. Yeah, yes. mostly, mostly students though. So not jobs, but it's not that different. It's not, not that, different. that different. Yeah. You're trying to find people where they're at and yeah. trying to connect them with a resource, right? That's, that's a tough thing to be able to do. We know that we need that one great person and you're trying to connect them with your organization, but finding them until you find them, it's hard. Yeah. Right? hard it is hard and you want it to be the right fit for them too and for the organization so you want it to be kind of uh you want it to work both ways yeah love that and then diana does a lot of our she does a lot of screening and stuff i know bethany does too and stephanie does as well but Beth, diana you've done a ton of interviews you're like a master interviewer person and you're really good at the that process you're good at kind of seeing doing good behavior-based questions, those types of things. What do you, I mean, what do you think is the biggest challenge that employers face trying to open up that pool? I know I'm opening up like the whole podcast topic to you. Yeah. Uh, But where where would you get us started at? Man, I think that a lot of employers just post in one place. Like I'm just going to put this on Indeed and hopefully I'll get stuff. But I think if you're trying to recruit 
a diverse pool or people that are not like you or a unicorn, like we were talking about earlier, you have to go deeper than that. Indeed is not going to cut it. And so you have to get kind of innovative about where you're going to start and think about where, where the people you want hang out. Where do those people hang out? What are they doing? And kind of think through it that way. So I love that. So you have to find where the people you want hang out so that you can go reach out to them because that's that's where they're going to find you. So you mentioned this concept of the unicorn. Let's start there because let's talk about the people you want, right? First, you have to know what the people is that you want. What is this concept of a unicorn that we're talking about? Why do we call it a unicorn? What's the problem with people looking for a unicorn? What is a unicorn and what's the problem with that? I've always heard the word unicorn thrown around of where basically you're looking for the perfect hire, the person who has all the skill sets, left brain, right brain, can be the ultimate people person, but then wants to run your QuickBooks and they have this degree and that degree, but then they're super approachable and relatable. And so it's like kind of this idea of like, are you are you hiring for someone who maybe potentially doesn't even exist? Like, is this a mythical worker <laughs> that you've created in your mind? Or if you could find that person, like number one, how, how would you find them Two, Would they even want to work in your industry area company? Would you be able to afford them? So it just kind of starts creating this like mythic proportion of a candidate in my mind's eye. Yeah. Plus I already have a job, so it's not like you can just find me that has all those skill sets. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you are a unicorn. That's true. Well, and I think this happens in different ways. Like, I think people are wishful when they, when they are looking for these unicorn unicorn positions, but I think that it happens out of two, two, these are the two big ways that I think it happens is one, you had somebody in that position who ended up taking all of those roles and it just sort of like muddied the waters of like, oh, we had this person who maybe started in this one role and then we we saw that they were pretty good at that and we needed somebody to fill this other role. And so we just asked them to take this stuff on. And so they did and they just kind of kept collecting stuff and became really good at all of those things over time. And then maybe you lost that person. I wonder why. And <laughs> and then you were like, oh, we got to hire somebody to fill that exact role, which they don't make sense, all of those different things together. And so that's one way I think it happens. And then another way is maybe you're creating a new role within your organization and maybe you're a small business. We've run into trying to figure out how do we navigate all of our needs and working out, out of just being a small business and how do we you know, can one person do all of these things? And so I know why it happens, but Sometimes then we create these different roles that it's like, we just, I know that we want to be efficient with who we hire next, but it doesn't make sense for them to have these three different roles compiled into one. So to me, it's a role clarity issue, but I think those are maybe the two main ways that, that, that tends to happen. Yeah, that's a great point. So, so when you're going to hire, first of all, Daniel's leaving, don't just think, how do I replace Daniel? It's, it's how do I cover all of the roles that Daniel had inside the organization, which may mean shifting some of Daniel's roles around to somebody else that's existing who maybe could already take that on, or it might be finding somebody else that can do some of those roles as well. Yeah, I think that if you think about, if you take a step back and you think about the person that you're going to hire for, and Stephanie, you kind of walked through it a little bit, it's 
I need a person who can sell, who's super relational, who also really understands analytics and understands the numbers, who's incredibly organized, who's also very empathetic, who also does, and you're like, wow, that, you're starting to add all of these requirements to this thing. I'm not sure that person exists, or if that person has existed, it was that one person that you had that you customized the job for that you're trying to replace. I, I, I think it's a great point to take a step back and think about what those sets of requirements are. It reminds me a little bit, my son is in college right now and they had a large company that came and they're recruiting students right now. And they gave a presentation to a group in one of his classes and it was in his business statistics class, I believe is where they were at. And they were talking to a bunch of data analytics majors and they were telling them how they were looking for people, people. Like they said, it's not about the numbers. We're looking for people who really just reach out to people and are very social and can interact with everything. And my son came home and said, I said, what did you think about the company? He says, well, they're clearly not looking for us. That's not who they were looking for. Most of the people that are for us are people that kind of want to be by ourselves more. We're more interested in the numbers maybe than the people. Not that we can't have conversations with people and that we're not social, but the really, really good data people probably are going to be maybe a little bit difficult to get along with a little bit harder, but maybe they can make a big impact on your organization. So what can companies do if you're trying to go to hire to follow that process where you take a step back a little bit and set some realistic requirements? Are you asking for the unicorn? How can we open it up? Yeah, how do, no, how do we set some requirements? So I'm going back to the postings idea. How do you decide what it is that you really need for the position? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think something that we do is we think about the role, not the human, right? Don't think about the person. You have to think about the jobs you're trying to get done and then be clear about those jobs. And then I think we also sort of take a look and do a little bit about what you were talking about, Don, and kind of say, okay, we have a very data side to this and a very human side to this. So like, is it super common that we're going to find one person to do that? Or is this really two roles? And maybe it needs to be shifted around or moved around a bit. But I think starting with the things they have to do and not the type of personality that you want, I think start with the stuff, not the human. Yeah. It's was not very people centric, but I swear it is. Well, I was going to say that. I think it's like maybe focus less on the personality traits is like, I don't think that that means throw them out the window, but I think sometimes maybe save that for your internal knowledge as you're going through the hiring process so as you're interviewing somebody you kind of have that list of like personality traits that you would like to see in 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 a candidate and just kind of see how that happens but start with the skill set and the abilities and if they have those then it's like yeah let's talk to them and see what they're like yeah, and I think personality traits are super subjective. Like I could think that I'm very personable and others could think that I am very much not. And so I, I, I feel like you kind of have to be careful about how you're measuring those traits and what you're really looking for and how you get those traits out of somebody and how you ask questions to see if those traits exist or not. And I, I think to start with the personality traits is a mistake. I agree with that. And I'll add to this too, of like, even when you're thinking about just the, the role and what you really need in skill sets of like, think about like, what are you willing to teach and what are you hoping this person walks in the door with and recognizing that like, you're probably going to have to teach them something like, unless you're doing an internal hire and someone who already knows your specific company really well, 
you're going to have to teach them things. So how much of what's on that requirements for experience or specific skill sets do you actually need? And then what are things that could be a great part of your onboarding process? I think that's like one post that I feel like circulates all the time on LinkedIn of people complaining. It's an entry-level job that requires 10 years of experience, you know? So like, are, are you really looking at that very objectively and being like, okay, are we willing to teach this person this? Could this just be a part of their training and onboarding versus they have to come in knowing how to do this at this level of expertise? Um, I think it'll help you get a much broader pool of candidates. And then maybe then that opens the door to meet people who match more of the personality that you're looking for. If you're willing to coach and teach and train them. I think another thing we were talking about in preparation for this conversation is just like the statistics on percentages of people who will apply for a job based on what percentage of the job requirements they meet. Like it's pretty well documented that women typically will only apply for a job if they meet 80% or more of the job requirements. And then, you know, if you are a company who's really hoping to have a more diverse team, I think that's something that you need to think about. Like even as your job posting, maybe limiting the type of candidates that you're getting. So it sounds like one of the things we're saying is less is more on a job posting. You want to just target the, what are the key things that we're really looking for? There's traits that you might like to have, nice to have, the last person had those kinds of things, but be careful about adding those to a job or to a job posting because somebody may look at that and say they walk away from it. Let's kind of flip that around, Stephanie, from what you just said and put it back to the job applicant then. The job applicant, you're looking for a job. You're looking at it thinking, boy, I think I can fit 90% of what's on here. Are we saying that people should still apply? Like, what's your advice to the applicant who looks at a job and says, I think I could do the things that you're describing, but I'm not exactly, I don't fit into the mold of what you've laid out. Do you think it's still worth uh, dropping the application at this point? I mean, my personal opinion is yes, go for it. Cause the worst answer you're going to get is no, um, which is the answer you would have got if you never would have applied. (laughs) So that's, that's my personal opinion and someone can absolutely disagree with me, but I think, especially if it's a job that it's, it's a position where you would grow and you would learn something, then even if you get rejected through the interview process, you learned things, you grew professionally and maybe you learned, Hey, maybe that skill set is a little bit more important to this type of position than what I really realize. And then that gives you the opportunity to walk out of that interview process and develop that skill you know, and then apply again in the future, apply for another role and then be able to highlight, Hey, in between this time and the last time we spoke, these are the things that I did to improve this skill set or go somewhere else where maybe they have a training program for that skill set that's built into the job. So, I I mean, I always say go for, I mean, obviously, you know, don't be applying for things that you're just unbelievably unqualified for. Like, you know, I'm not a physician, so I'm not going to apply for doctor and physician and nurse practitioner positions places. (laughs) I would never get an interview. I don't have any of that background. But if, if you are working your way toward expertise or higher level of skills in an area, I think it's okay to apply for jobs that maybe you're not completely qualified for yet, but show that employer how you're willing to build that skill set. Yeah. And I don't know from your experience, Stephanie, if this is wrong, but I think that I think that it can also be like, this shouldn't be your main purpose in interview, applying and interviewing somewhere, but I think that it can be almost a networking tool. (laughs) Like, I think that's sort of a side effect, a benefit of it is because you get to, you're meeting more people in the process, you're making connections with people. So hopefully you can still make a positive 
connection, even if you're not right for that specific job. And they might be somebody, you know, whoever you're interviewing with to be able to say, you know what, I don't actually think you're really a good fit for us, but I do see a skill set here. And I think that maybe you should go talk to this organization. I know they're looking for somebody or, hey, I'd love to connect you with somebody or you as the interviewee, the candidate can even ask some of those questions too in the process as well to, to find out who else they, they should be meeting um, in that specific industry they're interested in. I think that's fantastic advice. And I was given that advice. I mean, I spent probably the first decade of my career in the nonprofit industry. And when I decided to make the transition into the for-profit world, had a mentor of mine tell me, you need to just email your resume to these five different companies that, you know, people need to know that you want to do this type of work because your skill set does transfer, but they may not think of you because you've been in this other industry, this other field for such an extended period of time, you have to let them know that you're, you're interested. You have to let them know that you, you want to look and all, all of those really, except for one, I remember emailing, like they weren't even hiring. They didn't have any posted jobs. I just said, Hey, I'd love to be considered as you guys are growing and thinking about what you're doing, or even if somebody would be willing to, you know, come to coffee with me. I'll buy you lunch and talk about what type of positions you guys are thinking you might want in the future. And then we can figure out if, if we want to stay in touch about those or not. I love this in terms of giving the idea of looking past their job requirements a little bit, you know, and looking that I wanted to give you a little bit of advice to people. If you're looking past those and you see job requirements that you don't think should exist, it's easy to get frustrated with that, but I'd get offer two words of advice on that is one is there may be a reason why that job requirement is more important than you think. I've, I've seen that from time to time when people say, I don't think it's important that I can do that. I can get around that. And, you know, the people who are trying to hire for that position have a lot of experience probably in hiring for that position. And maybe they know something that you don't know uh, in terms of that requirement that that's not out there. But second of all, even if it is a dumb requirement and you think it's dumb and the company's absolutely sticks to it, be grateful for the clarity that you didn't go work for that company. Like that's a gift. That's, that's, that's a misalignment ultimately at the end of the day. So let's flip it back to the employer side. What are some of the requirements that we think employers should look at that might be unnecessary added requirements for job postings? This is going to be controversial, but I don't think every job needs a college degree. There are so many jobs out there that are like, you need a master's degree to do this marketing job. And I just, I don't. I don't think that's real. I don't think that's necessary. I think college has become more and more common and inflated. And maybe, maybe we don't, maybe we don't need a college degree for an administrative assistant. I can't believe you said that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I started my career as an administrative assistant and every job I applied for, it said you needed a college degree. Luckily I had one. I do not think I needed one to do that job. I think I agree with you. That's not controversial to me, but oh, okay, good. good. You know, yeah. thank <laughs> um, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I also think even like this seems kind of silly, but I think sometimes like we have carried over like physical requirements, which we haven't talked about much here in this episode yet, but we sometimes just like copy and paste the physical requirements from that job that we've had there for years and years and years and years, however old your organization is or whichever template you found on Google. <laughs> but maybe like take a minute and like review those and say like could we be creative with this a little bit because 
you might be able to open up your job application to maybe some people who have different abilities that that are um, that maybe are viewed as a barrier right now. Um, and and I think that maybe just take a minute and look at those and say like, do do these have to be here or can we can we either just remove this so that it doesn't seem like a barrier to somebody who wants to apply for this job or can we just be creative and and address that like here's what the job has required in the past but we're open to um, making adjustments and accommodations for for people depending on what their needs are. And one of the first jobs I applied for did say something like must be able to lift 30 to 50 pounds. And I was like, why? <laughs> because, because they wanted you to be able to unload like boxes of paper to the printer because, you know, it was administrative work. And I was like, well, I think I can do that. I'm a, I'm a hundred pounds for 11. Like I'm small. And so I was like, I think I can do that. But like, how often is this a manual labor? Job? How much am I going to have to do this? Because that's a big physical barrier. And I almost didn't apply thinking, well, if that's part of the regular job, like I don't, I don't want to necessarily lift 30 to 50 pounds multiple times a day because I'm small, but all the other stuff I can do. So you're right. Some of that physical stuff is weird. Right. Well, in the reality that like you would ever have been the only person in the office at any given time who could lift a box of paper, you know what I mean? So I, I think I love that you brought this up and I, I think it's just something that I, I've seen some employers do. Of, I love the suggestion that you made where they'll put sometimes at the bottom of the description, Hey, if you don't meet a hundred percent of these requirements, we still encourage you to apply. We're open to discussing you know, maybe some, some changes or augmenting this role a little bit to fit the right candidate. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really great. And especially when it comes to, again, hiring a more diverse workforce, which could include people who have different abilities um, and physical capacity of making sure you're not just like cutting that group off because you've left something in the job description that's just been there for a really long time. Yeah. The other thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so my, my, for, for those of you who don't know, my father has a physical disability. So he has an, he has a prosthetic leg. And so I think that that's always, that has been a barrier for him in the past is helping, you know, if he's ever going to look for a, for another job, he's been a pastor for most of my life, but there's been times where he's, he's done other work and that has, you know, that's a, been a barrier of like, okay, the requirement is you have to stand for this many hours a day. That's really hard. And like, is that necessary? Is there really no way around that? And so I think just like being mindful of that, of like, you're missing out on a, a really good population of workers if you just don't stop to consider some of that stuff. Yeah, I agree. I ha also have a special needs family member and for him finding work has been really difficult. Like for most of his adult life, like he was able to work a full-time job, but most employers haven't really sat down and thought about like, could we actually, could this position be filled by someone who has some different abilities? Like what, what are really the core competencies of this position? And maybe could we open that up and engage people in our community who probably aren't being engaged in the workforce right now? Or I was at our chamber of commerce this morning talking about our community focus report. And we brought up um, the idea of what they kind of call second chance employment of what if you hired someone who has had a recently expunged record or maybe who has some type of background. And obviously we're talking about nonviolent crime, but 
of could there be a position for someone within your company if you are willing to to open it up and to connect with leaders in your nonprofit community and say, hey, we're open to hiring some someone, you know, and we do have some clear values for our organization that we want to maintain and um, abide by, but we're open. We're open to hiring for for people in this role. Yeah, I love that. So we're we're, we're checking those and just uh, for a quick piece of advice, if you're a hiring manager. And you're looking at maybe potentially hiring or exploring that concept and you want to make sure that you are uh, open to hiring differently abled people. There's organizations like I know in Springfield, there's an organization called Abilities First that would love, 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 love to get a call from a hiring manager saying I would love to hire people. Would you just take a look at my job postings and make sure I'm not putting something in here that is excluding somebody that doesn't need to be. And I think they could point out a lot of things to you on that. I love the idea of the, you know, more and more we hear people removing the requirements of, you know, no criminal record. And even the violent criminal history of that, if you think about that, if we as a business community say, we're never going to hire anyone who's ever been accused of a violent crime, what are are we saying about those, about people who have had that happen to them in their past? You know, what if they have, what if they have come around? What if they have sought out treatment? Do we understand what the situation was? Are they past that? Uh, I can think of plenty of stories where people have hired people that would almost be considered to be unhirable or very difficult to hire who had rock stars and they really took off and just appreciated that opportunity and did a really, really good job with that. What other kinds of requirements or uh, I'll even switch it to biases do we need to watch for in the hiring process that uh, that open us up to potentially some more candidates? Yeah, I actually just can I add to what you were just saying is because I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot internally, too. But when you use, you know, you're talking about the the term like second chance employees, too, is the fact is like one in three, I believe, is a statistic of adults have a criminal record. And so I think one to be really, really aware of that. But two, that like those employees also are statistically retained at a higher rate um, within organizations um, than people who don't have criminal records. And so that impacts your bottom line because it decreases your amount of just hiring and onboarding and training of new employees. So that's just something to keep in mind too. Yeah, I love that we're having this conversation and all uh, apologies if I used the wrong language earlier, but yeah, of, of really looking at this and saying like, if we're going to be an employer for our community, and I think we hear that from so many employers that we want to be a really vibrant part of our community. We want to be an employer that's for our employees and for our team of like, maybe there's other avenues to do this that that you haven't explored yet. Um, So I love that we're talking about this. I'll add something that is probably extremely controversial to remove from your job description, or at least I think it is. It's like number of years experience. That is one that I feel like you see on almost every job posting. And I know I've been a part of companies that say we want someone with this number of years experience. What we're really looking for is a certain level of skill set. Like we're really just looking for someone who's actually going to be good at this job, who is not entry level, who maybe has built up you know, this level of expertise in this area. We don't want to start from zero and get somebody that's hundred percent green. We want some skill set here, but the reality is I think sometimes the number of years experience has really no data behind it. They're just like, well, when I did this job after five years, I knew how to do it this well. And there's really not a lot there. And I think you could be potentially losing out on great applicants who are highly, highly skilled at what you need them to do, but may not just have the number of years experience. I think it's also great to think about, especially hiring an older population and maybe someone who has made a massive career change. 
This could be a very, very skilled person who has a lot of work experience, but they may not have the number of years experience in your specific role or industry that you're looking for. Yeah. Excellent advice. I love that. Let's talk a little bit too about biases in the hiring process. So like I met somebody last year who is, I won't say their name because I don't want to embarrass them, but they were going through the hiring process. And I had just given a talk about how difficult the hiring process was for companies, how hard it was to find talent. And he came up to me after the presentation and he said, I have been looking for a job. And this was in Springfield, Missouri, and he could not find anything. He's a project manager. He had his graduate degree. He he started listing off things he'd done. And he's and he was talking. And I mean, this 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 guy was super, super hireable. Absolutely should have been hireable. I mean, and I'm like, what is going on here? And I started asking more and more questions. And I really think part of the reason that he wasn't hireable was because of what his name was, is. His name has, it's a foreign sounding name. I'll say it just that way. And I know applicants, or I know uh, some hiring process folks will have some biases. Sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious when you see a name to think, oh, I need somebody that speaks really good English. And that person probably won't. And I don't want to run into that. And they will they will watch over people. And that. What, what's our advice on that piece of it in terms of what, those kinds of biases? How do you get past that? Is that a problem? And how do you get past it? I think it is a problem. I think you do have to consciously have someone early in the process that isn't thinking about those things, right? So whether that is some, maybe that's an admin that like removes names and assigns people a number. Maybe that is someone who is passionate about diversity and won't look at that thing like a a negative. I intentionally do phone calls with people and not video calls as the first interview because I don't want to know what they look like or what their mannerisms are. I don't want that like bias on me before I pass them on to the next person. So I think there are ways to do it. It just is a conscious effort to say you're going to ignore that. I heard some people probably listening to the podcast go like, so you never saw the person before they applied for a job? No, no, no. Just in the screening process is what Diana's talking about. You're trying to say, are they in the ballpark of somebody that we could hire? And you're trying to eliminate the things that would not be important right up front. Later on, obviously we do meet in person so that we can see, you know, how do you show up and all that kind of stuff, but you're trying to remove those biases. There's also biases that I know in terms of like applications and things like that, that are unconscious there are there are populations and I've talked to different people who look at applications and they're looking for codes, things written into the applications that aren't that maybe you're meaning to say or maybe you're not meaning to say of like, are you really willing to hire me? Is this job for me? And you really want to look for those types of things. And again, there's organizations that can help you. If you're thinking of if you're if you're struggling with diversity, equity, and inclusion as a company. The process of where you look, Diana, you said it before, like we know what type of employee we're trying to get. And we've talked about how to simplify that, but it's even more important to understand like, where do I go to, where, where does that live? But also have those organizations of where people are that you may not reach out to today, help you with your application, make sure that it's written in a way that, you know, doesn't unintentionally block somebody out. I, I think that's also important. What else would you say in terms of that, of trying to improve diversity on your team in terms of the hiring process? Well, and I think there, there is some merit to that as well of like, if you're having trouble finding a job right now and you're getting rejected from online resumes of like maybe having someone look at it because for better or worse, a lot of the hiring sites now 
cough, LinkedIn, indeed, they will use filters. They're just searching for keywords in resumes. And so, um, you know, I've heard horror stories from people who have like, I applied for 400 jobs and got no interviews and I was qualified for this. And and that probably is an exaggeration. Let's be real, but, but of like knowing that, you know, there maybe are ways that you could, you could tweak your, your experience and, and using certain language that might help you get to the top of the stack, so to say, but also hand in hand with that, I'll say to employers, like try not to put too much weight on using those algorithms for candidates because they are not perfect. They can't understand the unique background that maybe someone has or what they could bring to your team. If you're just using the filters to sort through resumes. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when we talk about biases, I know that shuts people off. It's powerful language. Sometimes and people think, well, I'm not biased. I'm not racist. I'm not going to try to black people out. I just look for, want to look for the best candidate. And I believe most people really do feel that way where I think we get into trouble is like we've talked in the past. One of the best ways that we've hired people at people centric is through word of mouth is we put out that through our own networks, we reach out through our own networks. Well, what do our own networks tend to look like? They tend to look like people who look like us. And so we have to recognize that while that is a good way of attracting good people for the app for applicants, it's not going to attract people that are outside of your network. And there are some great candidates outside of your network. So the question might be, if you're working to improve diversity, how do you get outside of your own network? How do you reach out? How do you bridge across to another organization, another group, something like that? And there's lots of opportunities to do that if you do a little bit of research to be able to look out to try to get more applicants in. So yeah, I think some of that is even just like creating some metrics around that for you and your team. Like if you've decided as a company, we're really committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we want to hire more people. Like, are you even interviewing enough people to succeed with your goal? So like, are you, and it feels weird to do this. I get it. But are you keeping track of how many men versus women that you're interviewing for positions? Um, Are you keeping track of how many, you know, um, people of color, you know, the BIPOC or any other acronym that you can find that would represent diversity for you? Are you um, interviewing people who have um, other abilities for these jobs? And it's actually tracking that. And it's, it's a piece of keeping yourself accountable to make sure kind of those old habits of hiring don't slip back in when you've made a dedicated commitment to doing it differently. And I think that's one thing that I see very few companies actually doing. They'll say, well, we'll, we want to hire this way. We want to be more diverse, but then they're not actually doing enough work in that area to be successful toward that goal. So even tracking that, thinking about where you're posting the job. I know we've talked about that a lot, but actual put some metrics to this, like keep, keep yourself accountable toward toward that goal that you've made. Yeah. And let me just say this, just to be vulnerable for a minute here. Uh, we have not done a great job of that as a company. So, I mean, you just, when you watch us, you know, on the, if you're watching us on YouTube and you're looking at the podcast, you might be thinking you guys, I've, I'm watching four white people talk about diversity right now. Uh, what's that look like? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a process and, and Diane and I just had a conversation again, uh, just this week about that a little bit more and saying like, what else can we do? What are we doing? What else can we do? What are the processes that we need to put into place? Look, I wouldn't trade as the owner of this company. There's nobody on our team that I would trade. There's nobody outside of our team that I would trade for anybody on our team for. I, I think that I, I don't have any regrets on anybody that's on our team, except for Matt on a given day. But other than that, he's not here. I should have waited till he was here. That's his joke. But I second that emotion. I knew you were going to lean into that one, Diana. I appreciate it. I lean that. into that. Yes. 
we'll have a conversation with Matt later. But other than that, like we've, we've done a great job of hiring. We have attracted some great people, but we haven't done, we also have not done a great job of attracting diverse applicants uh, for, for the job. So we need to find ways and continue to find ways to do better on that. Those things can both be true. I think people get stuck in that a little bit of the idea, like I want to diversify my staff and I also want to hire the best people. Those two things fit together. And the reason you want to diversify your staff is because it does make your team stronger. It allows you to be able to reach more people from the outside and your customers, the people you serve. It brings new perspectives, all of those different things. Um, it's not a gift to the world. It's a gift to yourself as a team. And that's why I think it's important for us to look at that. So love this topic. You know, as people are going to, as people are looking to attract more applicants for jobs in this really, really difficult job market, which is only going to get worse, by the way, over the course of the next decade, uh, it's important to recognize that maybe some of the things that you've always been doing in the hiring process need to change. Some of those things that you put that are on the templated job descriptions and job postings probably need to come off of those. So we're challenging you a little bit. And the good news about all of this is that if you do a lot of the things that we're talking about, it's going to be good for the community and you're going to find some really good, loyal employees that, that come in and really make a big impact on you and your organization. That's the goal all along. We're not saying to compromise and not bring in great people. We're saying that maybe some great people aren't finding you uh, because of some things that you're doing. So Please, uh, and if you're an applicant also, you know, keep keep plugging away out there. It is a good job market. I know that some of you are hitting some walls that shouldn't be walls that are out there, but there are companies that are good companies that are looking for you. So don't let those applications stop you. Keep getting out there, keep networking, keep working it. And uh, I think we'll we'll have to meet in the middle on that in terms of, of matching up the employers, the employees. So thanks for joining us on this week's podcast and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the People-Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then... Be well and lead well.